decision based on their perspective, based on the information that has been made presentable for them. I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be the first person who believes in the forgiveness, compassionate aspects. Uh, let's show compassion. Let's be forgiving. Let's give people a second chance. Uh, humans make mistakes. We're frail. I agree with all of that. A thousand percent. I'm human. You're human. So we need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need uh, a second, third, and fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth chance, you know, to get it right. Some of us are slower than others, and so it takes more time to learn the very same lesson. So we have to allow people to make mistakes in their human frailty and then learn to forgive them. A couple of months ago, I did a whole piece after listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes talk about forgiveness and the mustard seed of faith. Change my perspective. But I have to say, when we get down to words like judicial discretion and listening to the commentary and the body language, the body language of Judge Regina Chu yesterday as she handed down that sentence, I was appalled. And although she prefaced, uh, or ended really, she didn't preface it, but she ended her remarks that Dante Demetrius Wright, his life mattered. His life mattered. This is what she's saying. As she begins to shed emotional tears, she becomes emotional. As she talks about the resume of former officer Kim Potter. And I'm much in agreement with Katie Bryant, the mother of Dante Demetrius Wright. I don't even want to give her the credit to say her name because she never said Dante Wright. She called him the driver, uh, the person, the young man, everything, but she would not say his name. So I'm sort of leaning with Katie Bryant to not really say her name, but for the sake of being a newscaster, a reporter, a journalist, I, I have to, I got to follow the rules. The good news is, is that I have some leeway as a commentator in my reporting that I have an opinion and I'm allowed to express it. And so I think I will just from here forth say the officer, the Minnesota officer, Kim Potter, shot and killed Dante Demetrius Wright in the chest. Boom, he's gone like and she's in the courtroom and these, this, this sound is coming from her throat uh, after her attorneys have had a whispering backdoor conversation with her. And she's reading from a piece of paper. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Never once saying his name and continuing to refer to her white paper notes of what she's supposed to be saying. And it's my opinion, in the 59 years that God has allowed me to be on this earth, I've learned many lessons, and a lot of them were the hard way. Because I was a hard-headed person, I had to learn lessons the hard way. But I'm telling you, in my experience, when you are genuine, sincere, heartfelt about an apology, when you've done something wrong and you want to make amends, you don't need to read from a piece of paper. It will come naturally from your heart. The spirit will guide you in that apology. So if I'm reading from my notes in order to apologize for some ill offense that I've committed, you have permission 
to question my sincerity. How genuine am I from my heart if I have to read an apology from a piece of paper? Ladies and gentlemen, I was appalled. I sensed that it was not going to be justice in the justice system, the judicial process. I could tell by watching other portions of the trial that it was not going to be complete, honorable justice. I thought we were going to get a good five to seven years, at least five, at least a good five years. Uh, and the former Minnesota officer would then be released in two and a half, three, maybe three, four, depending on behavior and other circumstances. So I'm thinking, but at least we're going to get a good five years out of this. Judge Regina Chu sentenced her time served, time already served, to two years, 24 months of incarceration. Eight of those months would be done on home confinement, release. She will be home, incarcerated from home. Now she committed murder, or as it, we're going to call it, what the law called it, manslaughter. Manslaughter. And she gets two years. Really 16 months because eight of those two years will be on home confinement. How nice to sit up, put your feet up, eat bonbons and ice cream and watch the shows uh, for eight months. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to do anything. Some people come by once a week, knock on the door, check on you, make sure there's nothing, no contraband in the house. And then they leave and you're free to put your feet back up. Go back to eating your bonbons and watching your shows. But Dante Demetrius Wright will never get an opportunity to do that again. And then to try to criminalize him as if he's not the victim by continuing to repeat and remind us that he was assertive in this traffic stop. He was aggressive, and that's why it even had to go down that way, because he initiated aggression towards officers. Had he been calm and uh, cooperative, she never would have reached for the taser, the firearm. How much of that is true? How much of that is true? But either way, to criminalize the victim is an injustice within itself. That is an injustice within itself. And to listen to Judge Regina Chu, the sentencing judge of the trial, become emotional as she is passing this sentence on the former Minnesota police officer, but had not one show of emotion as she talked about Dante's right, Dante right, his life mattered. Not one show of emotion, but all choked up and emotional as she's sentencing the white female former police officer from Minnesota that shot and killed him. A fatal mix-up. Those are the words that were used. Fatal mix-up. It's appalling. It's disrespectful. It is beyond forgiveness and redemption. I do not believe one tear fell from the former Minnesota police officer's eyes as she stood up and did this apology. The camera did not get her face. It was sort of behind her as she stood and faced the family. So we couldn't see if there are tears rolling from her cheeks. I don't know, but by the sound of the noise, 
that was coming from her throat chakras, reading from the paper an apology, I am not convinced that it was sincere, genuine, or authentic. I believe she was acting out for the cameras and whoever else, the witness. She did what the lawyers told her to do. Her attorneys asked her, prompted her, prepared her to make this apology statement to the, to the family. Never once using his name. And I find it interesting that the attorney for, the, uh, for Dante Wright, I find that it's interesting, attorney Crump, if I'm saying his name correctly, uh, and I do have my notes in front of me, I believe that um, attorney Crump made a statement. I found it to be interesting. It was exactly what I was thinking. Yes, Ben Crump. He's, he states, a black, black men are incarcerated with more time in prison for a dime bag of marijuana. Black men are incarcerated with more time in prison for a dime bag of marijuana than the former Minnesota police officer got for shooting in the fatal mix-up and killing young brother and father, Dante Demetrius Wright. And when I look at that, ladies and gentlemen, the statement from the attorney, Ben Crump, uh, and I just look at the history of America and its judicial systems and processes, I clearly want to say bravo to those people who are standing up in 2022, all of the activists, the advocates, the legislators, our, our public servants, uh, parents, everyone that is standing up to change it and to make right what has been wrong for 400 plus years, I applaud you and say, bravo, don't stop. You got this. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to change a whole lot of stuff. It's going to change. The wheels turn slow, but by the grace of God, they do turn. So we're going to get there. Don't stop. Keep going. But here we are in 2022. And again, I ride on the back, dovetail on the back of the mother who will never see her son in the physical again, come in the house. Hey mom, what's for dinner? Hey mom, what are you doing? What's going on? She'll never hear that again from Dante. Katie Bryant, her words, poignant and powerful. I thought that my white woman tears would be sufficient but they did not trump the white woman tears of the former Minnesota police officer. How about that? I think that's interesting, a point within itself and worthy of mentioning. The tears of a white woman and the weight that they hold, the influence, the power that they hold just because they came from a white woman. And, and I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, let's go back in our history. Let's rewind the clock all the way back so that we can understand what that means today in 2022. The tears of a white woman. White women historically have always been porcelain privileged goddesses put on a pedestal. Frail dainty, privileged, special. Oh, you mustn't break her. She's porcelain, pure. This is, these are the thoughts. This is the mindset and the attitude historically that people 
and we don't have to talk about which people, but people have considered to hold weight. The white woman, her power, her frailty, her delicacy. She's so pure and innocent and we put her on a pedestal and this and that and she's so much. And yet historically, they could not even have babies and nurse them. You had to give your babies to black women to nurse and feed them because your bodies could not respond. Black people get together, black and brown people get together and they can make a baby in one night. White women historically have had a problem with becoming pregnant. So we've got all these technological, scientific ways of getting people pregnant now. Putting things in the shelves and holding them in the fridge, the freezer, and God knows what else they're doing until later, and then you can put it there and then a white woman will get pregnant. Black and brown and Native American women do it the old-fashioned way. We mate and we get pregnant. Now, some people don't like that. You talk a lot of stuff on it. You know, we multiply. I've heard, I've heard non-black, brown, and Native American people say we multiply like roaches. I've actually heard somebody uh, say that. A non-melanated human being said that. And I heard him. That we procreate like roaches. And maybe that just came from a place inside of his own ego and, and envy and insecurity because he can't procreate or has difficulty doing it. But historically, white woman tears. Katie Bryan said, I thought mine would be sufficient as his mother. And they were authentic and they were real and they were from a place of sincere hurt. This woman has lost her child like hundreds of thousands of other moms across this nation. We lose them to gun violence. They're killing each other, trauma-informed. Or we've got white police officers fatally killing them by accident, uh, mix-up, and knees in the neck, and all other kinds of strangulations. And, you know, there's always an excuse for killing us, for killing our children. Always an excuse. And mothers are hurting. If you can't kill them in the street, uh, then you're incarcerating them. Whatever can be done in order to break up the black, brown, and golden family. When I say golden, I'm speaking of our Native Americans. And our Asian, Manchurian brothers and sisters as well. Although they have their own councils and they kind of deal with their own people uh, off to the side. And we can look at that based on court documents and records. How often do you see Asian people standing in a courtroom? It's not very often because they have their own thing going on. Mothers are hurting because you are killing our children. And if you're not physically killing them with guns or knees in the neck or strangling them, uh, you know, you are putting them in prison, degenerating their soul and their spirit until it's almost likened to a death. But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, Why? Why? I'm asking the question that you are asking. Why? Why? And, and when I look at, uh, you know, the diseases and the pestilences that have been released on America since uh, 2019 and the trauma informed, there's more domestic violence. People are beating up on each other at home. Kids are running away. Kids are being uh, sexually abused and raped, boys and girls. 
We've got an influx of this homosexuality, the alphabet, LGBTQIA, and more letters are adding on. I'm trying to remember all of them, but that whole community is growing. All since pestilence and disease has been released on America, on the world. People have been trauma-informed. More and more of our young black, brown, and golden children are shooting and killing each other. They're in gangs because they'd rather be in a gang than to be at home where they can be molested or where they're not getting food. I'll tell you something I saw last night. I went out to dinner with a friend and I saw this white woman and her, I don't know, maybe, maybe five or six year old, I think it was a daughter. And the father was there. I guess that was a father. A little family. little family thing. We're all out at the restaurant. And the little child kept standing up in the seat or whatever. Just nothing really bad. Just a little bit inappropriate behavior. Slightly inappropriate. And the mother, and just for the sake of me remembering a child's name, I'll say Karen. I don't know. Could have been Linda, Mary, Beth, Susan. Who knows? But I'll just say Karen. Now, Karen, the mother spoke to her, Karen, I want you to sit down and I want you to behave and I want you to, you know, whatever she was saying, she was coaching, gently coaching and talking to this child about her behavior. Sit down in the seat, eat your broccoli, right? Whatever it is that the mom was saying, she was saying it to this little girl, five, five-year-old girl, six-year-old girl. The little girl sits down. She behaves as well as a five-year-old is expected. I was very proud of her. We leave the restaurant. We stop somewhere else, uh, actually at the mall, because I wanted to see something. And there, the moment we walk in, and I wasn't even thinking about it. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. At the very moment we walked in, you have this young African-American mother, this brown mother, with this little six-year-old boy, five or six-year-old boy, who's, I don't know what he was doing, cartwheels or something in the mall, right? Running, playing, whatever. She addresses him, get yourself over here, and you'll have to improvise with some of the language, but you can just imagine. Get yourself over here. I told you to stop it. And this is the way she's addressing her child. And it, it just kind of dawned on me. Like, wow, the way we talk to our children at four, five, six, seven years old, eight, nine, ten, it really says a lot to that child how they grow up and how they feel and think about their mother and about women in general and authority. And, you know, as you get older, you start thinking to yourself, perhaps, and I've had kids tell me this. I couldn't wait to get old enough to be able to leave the house. 15, 16 can walk and get a catcher bus. I couldn't wait to get old enough so I could leave the house. And this is how our black and brown and golden children are feeling. And is it right? Well, you answer that question. Why is one parent saying, now, Karen, Beth, Baby, you have to sit down and, 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 you know, we can't stand up in the seats. Coaching and another parent has to get yourself over here. Or I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Now, what do you think that's going to do if a child hears that at age five, growing up long enough? What do you think that does to their mental psychology and their emotionality? So you're wondering why our kids, our beautiful black and brown and golden children, our teenage babies are running around shooting each other, are turning to gangs rather than mom and dad. In too many cases, dad is incarcerated. The system's already gotten a hold of dad. Unfortunately, in too many cases. So they're growing up with mom and grandmom and they're hearing all the time, get yourself over here. I'm going to beat your butt. What is that doing to them psychologically and emotionally? Talking to your child that way. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
How do you think that's going to affect them when they turn 15, 13, 12? Versus coaching them and talking to them as if they're human beings. Baby, don't stand up on the seat. You got to sit down in the seat. We're at the restaurant. You sit down in the restaurant. Or you don't run around in the mall. Come on, baby. You got to hold mommy's hand. It's not that difficult to talk to your child as if they're a human being. Because how you lay the foundation at age four, five, six has a lot to do with when they turn 15, 16, and 17. Come on, people. It starts at home. We've got to save our children. Do the best we can to save our children. And do not think if you're a mom of any wisdom and maturity that if you see a young, young mom that could use some coaching, walk over to her with love and say, hey, baby, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a grandmom, whatever. Can I just suggest? Is it all right? Would it be all right with you if I suggested, uh, you know, hey, that's a good looking son you've got there. Oh, he's such a fine little boy. African-American boys are brown and black and, and Native American children by nature, by nature. And you can look at the history we are athletic and sporty people. We've got energy. They call it attention deficit disorder. And maybe that is what it is, but, you know, but I can tell you we're energetic. We're an energetic people, especially our little boys. So they get into things. They tinker. Don't beat them. You don't have to beat them and talk to them as if they're less than a human being. You don't talk to your dog that way. And I'd prefer it if you did. Talk to your dog that way, but do not talk to your little four and five and six and seven-year-old child like that and beating them constantly, putting your hands on your child. I beat my son one time, once in his whole one time, one time only, I had to beat my child because everything else was a conversation. I talked to him. I explained things. I showed him why it's important to sit down in the seat at the restaurant instead of standing up in the chair. I did my due diligence as a mother. I taught him. And that's your job, moms, is to teach. You are to teach by example your children. And it's okay for us as grandmothers, elder mothers. In Africa, we are called Nanu. My grandchildren, whenever I get a chance to be around them, they call me Nanu, which simply means elder mother. And it's okay for us to offer guidance with love. You got to do it out of love for the mother and the child. But it's all right to gently approach a mom with love and engage her in a short conversation, never judging but simply offering your experience as a mom on how to be more loving and still authoritative and get the job done because she wants little Johnny or Mark or Khalif to stop running in the mall. There's a way to do that without telling you, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. There's enough people in the world, I promise you, who want to beat him so you don't have to beat him. That's my perspective. And that's why I didn't beat my son. I didn't beat him. I beat him one time. I wore his little tail out for what he did. He told a lie. He lied about something. Did you do this? I didn't do it, mommy. You're lying. I saw you do. I know you did it. And I'm not going to beat you for doing it because it's not really a big deal of what you did. It's the principle that you told a lie about it. And I wore his tail out. Didn't have to beat him again. It was always a conversation. I talked to my son. I taught him. I trained him. I, I was a teacher. That's what mothers do. Mothers are teachers. We're a whole lot of other things, but that's one of the things that we are. So we have to take responsibility for the trauma that our children are facing. So when they turn 15 and 16, instead of picking up a gun 
and joining the gang, they'll pick up a book and join a school project or a college, the debate team at college or high school, instead of picking up a gun and joining a gang on the streets. It starts with us. And I just had to inject that. But I have not forgotten, we are still talking about the former Minnesota police officer that pulled her firearm, her sidearm, and discharged her weapon, fatally killing, they call it manslaughter, not murder, manslaughter. She killed Dante Demetrius Wright. We're still there, ladies and gentlemen, and the question is still being posed, why? Why are they still doing that in 2022? 2022, and we're still killing, <laughs> I'm not going to say the word, but you can just use your imagination and put the word in there. Because I know that outside of this radio station, that's the word that is being used around many coffee and dinner tables. Kill another nickel. Nickel. It's got to stop, ladies and gentlemen. It's got to stop. And I am holding our judges accountable because it is the judge. It is the judge that sets the precedence of the laws, how they're applied, and, and the result of the consequences of those laws. This judge, Regina Chu, went below the sentencing guideline for the former officer. She called it a downward departure. Really? I didn't know such language existed. And I've been in the law for 13 years. Downward departure. And I think that attorney Ben Crump said it better than any of us could ever re regurgitate it. You've got black men sitting in prison with more time in prison for a dime bag of marijuana than this former officer got for manslaughter. And then I'm looking at this uh, court TV with Vinnie Politan that I like so much. I like, I like watching him. <laughs> I think he's energetic and, and kind of fun, but I think he also brings intelligence uh, to the show. And so as I'm watching him, and I'm listening to him. He's, he's going on about other things. Now, maybe some of you have heard, uh, and we'll get right back to uh, the former officer and Dante Wright in just a moment. But I want to sidestep, uh, sidebar for a minute. Uh, we're, we're all familiar with the pop movie popcorn murder, right? Uh, two people in the movie theater, uh, they start a little verbal confrontation over some popcorn or somebody's making noise or whatever. The movie's getting ready to begin. Anyway, uh, one person shoots the other person. They're calling it the movie popcorn murder. What a title, right? Somebody is dead, ladies and gentlemen. You call it the movie popcorn murder. Really? But okay, so that's the title that America has given it. And this man is sitting in the courtroom, old white man, sitting in the courtroom. It was him and his family just out for a nice little movie night. You know, movie nights are fun. It's fun to go out for movie night, especially now that, uh, you know, all of the pestilence and disease uh, isn't running as rampant as it was. And so now things are opening up and we can go to the movies again. So bravo. But some kind of issue occurred in the movie theater regarding popcorn and one person shoots another person. Just because you can do something, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't always mean that you should. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should in every incident. Sometimes you should, depending on what it is, but you got to think a thing through. You can't get stuck on stupid. Just don't get stuck on stupid. But I'm going to continue to watch that trial. I can't wait to see 
how the judge's discretion is used when his sentence is administered. You got to watch court TV, ladies and gentlemen. You got to stay up with, you know, how these things are taking place. You know, CNN and all of these other mainstream medias, NBC, ABC, all of that stuff, you know, you don't forget there are paychecks involved. When we listen to mainstream media, I want you to know that there's a ching ching sign, a dollar sign moving and shaking around. Okay, so don't believe everything you hear on mainstream media. Sometimes they are paid to be the biggest liars of them all. So be careful with that. And these are my thoughts and my viewpoints. Uh, they do not reflect necessarily uh, WHGE 95.3. These are the thoughts, the intellectual property of Rochelle Wilson for Make Some Intelligent Noise. But be mindful of how much of mainstream media television you actually absorb or allow your children to absorb. But there was another case I thought was interesting as I'm watching uh, Court TV, Vinny. And again, we're, we're not finished yet uh, with Dante because I have one more thing I want to share with you. Uh, but I got to tell you this. You may also be f uh, familiar with the story of Ethan Crumbly. Ethan Crumbly in Michigan, 15-year-old boy, walked into the Michigan Oxford High School. He killed four of his classmates and injured seven others. Walked in with a gun, brrr, shot it up, turned it up. He turned up the noise, killing four of his classmates and injuring seven others. Now, he's only 15. He's Ethan. His name is Ethan, and they showed a picture of him. Poor little thing, bless his heart. He looks like he's just from the devil's lair. This picture that they posted of him, his hair is all, you know, discombobulated. He, his face is all crinkled and crumpled. He really looks like he just walked out of Satan's lair. He really does. They criminalized him in his photo photograph. But he's 15-year-old white boy, Ethan Crumbly, Walks into the Oxford High School in Michigan, shoots it up, kills four, injures seven, and now he's sitting uh, somewhere waiting to be processed. I mean, he's going to, you know, they're going to go through the trial for him. You know, I'll be watching that one very closely, although we got to remember there's a difference uh, in judicial court for adults and judicial court for our youth, our minors, our juveniles. Things are handled differently with children than they are with adults. And I think that's rightfully so, especially after the Central Park Five and how that shenanigan went down. We need to be more mindful of how we deal with our children in a uh, criminal re regard. You got to be mindful. They're juveniles. They're still underdeveloped. You're not fully developed and mature until you're 25 years old. At 25, you should know better. But up to the point of 25, you can get a few little, you know, every now and then you can get a little pass. At any rate, Ethan is 15. He's sitting now to the side. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll watch that trial and see how that unfolds. But guess what they did yesterday? I think it was yesterday or the day before. They pulled in his two parents, James and Jennifer Crumbly. The parents of Ethan, they are pulling him, uh, th those two parents in, and they are being charged with involuntary manslaughter for negligence as parents. Involuntary manslaughter for negligence as parents. Because they were screwed up as parents, allegedly, allegedly screwed up as parents, they screwed Ethan up, and so now they're going to be held accountable with Ethan for the murder of these four children and the injury of the seven others. 15-year-old boy walks into the high school and shoots it up. And, you know, it's so interesting. You, you think school is safe, supposed to be safe for your child. It's okay to send them to school while you go to work. Not always the case. And that's one of the reasons I got to take a moment out right here. Uh, and I'm finished with that particular story. I just think that's, that's really interesting. The parents are being held accountable for Ethan Crumbly's uh, decision, his choices to walk into the school. That was his choice. He did it. And his parents are also being held accountable. So that's how that's going to work out. 
Uh, I'm going to get right back in closing. I'm going to tell you the last little thing, uh, something to think about. And I love you for listening to WHG. I love you for listening to me, Rochelle Wilson, Make Some Intelligent Noise. Please share the video. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, to my Apple, Spotify, Anchor podcast. I'm all over the place. And I really would love it so much if you would please go in and subscribe. Uh, you can always reach out to me directly. If you have Facebook, go to your messenger, reach out, shoot me a message. I'll do my very best to respond to you as quickly as I can. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't sit home with my feet up eating bonbons all day. I actually work and I've got my hand in more than two or three cookie jars. So if you just be patient, I will respond. Just give me a minute. Uh, to get to those messages, all right? Uh, but I got to tell you, I, uh, this is Black History Month, and so there's a couple of ladies that I just want to honor really quick before I leave the show uh, in my last two or three minutes. I want to give honor uh, to the strong and powerful women. I, I did this with our elected official, uh, Mimi Brown. I did it for uh, Senator uh, Elizabeth Tizzy Lockman, um, Stephanie Bolden, and, and others. Today, I want to really sh give a shout out to my peoples. I love and respect this woman tremendously. Uh, Sister Abundance Child from the Drop Squad Kitchen, Whoop, whoop. I got to give you some love, sis. You are doing the damn thing. I'm so proud of you. You are an amazing show of strength from a black and brown woman. I just admire you, your parenting skills, uh, how you've raised two beautiful daughters and a business all simultaneously while dealing with the life curves that life has to offer. And you just kind of, you ducked and dodged them and you did what you had to do, fought through them. I got to give you honor and respect for Black History Month as one of the strong, beautiful women that I have the good fortune and the privilege to know. Thank you. Shout out uh, to Sister Abundance Child from the Drop Squad Kitchen. I also would be remiss if I did not mention uh, Mama Mayamua from the Mbaki House. I love your wisdom. You're always a gentle soul willing to talk and teach and guide. And you are a pillar in the community for doing that. And I appreciate you and I love you. Uh, so I just want to give a shout out to the Mbaki House, Mama Mayamuna. Thank you for all that you do in my life personally, but to the community as well. And I've got to give a shout out to Mrs. Butler. Mrs. Butler, uh, our condolences, you know, she lost her son in the prison system. Her son in the prison system was lost. Uh, and so she turned her pain into passion. And I, I commend you for that. And now she is writing up, helping other families with their pardon and parole paperwork. So she's got her face on one of the city buses here in Wilmington. I got to give a shout out to Miss Butler for turning her pat, her pain into a passion to help other families. I, I bravo and thank you for the work that you do. We appreciate you, Miss Butler. And finally, in closing for Black History Month, uh, for today's segment anyway, I've got to give love and shout out. Uh, to Dr. J. Macklin. If you don't know her, you are missing out. I know her as Doc. I love her. She's a woman of total spiritual uh, cleanliness, not perfection, but cleanliness. Uh, she is a woman who you can talk to her at any time. Oh, and yes, she's an activist. She is an activist, but she, she slides quietly. She slides quietly through the room and she'll, she'll do what she has to do to get her point across, but she does it in a soft voice. And as she does it in a soft and smooth manner, I learned so much from her. Thank you, Dr. J. Macklin, for all that you have taught me and the rest of us in the community. We honor you for your strength and your beauty as a black and brown woman in the community right here in Wilmington, Delaware. To each of the ladies that I've mentioned, I give you a standing Bravo, and I applaud you for your strength, your commitment, your advocacy, and just your beauty as black women. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you.
In closing, I want to say this last thing on uh, our dear, beloved uh, Dante Demetrius Wright. Brother, I, I, I just, my heart goes out to the mother, Katie Bryant. My heart goes out, baby girl. I feel you. You may never know that I exist in this little corner uh, of the studio uh, here broadcasting. I am I'm certainly uh, a warrior of the airwaves. This is how I advocate. I lift my voice and, and I, I just, my heart goes out to you, sis. You may never know that I'm here, but baby girl, I want you to know from mother to mother, my son is still alive, but in so many ways, I really feel I relate to where you are in the losing of your, of your son. Katie Bryant uh, my heart goes out to you and you are in my prayers. And I suggest that we all pray for her and all of the hundreds of other moms who have lost their beautiful black and brown children to gun violence, either from other beautiful black and brown children or from police brutalities and abuse. Or if you've lost your son or daughter to judicial discretion, I leave you with something that Judge Regina Chu said in her sentencing as she sentenced the former Minnesota police officer that killed Dante Demetrius Wright. This is what she said. Quote from Judge Regina Chu. There are only four purposes for incarceration. The first purpose is retribution, to pay for a crime. And we can have a conversation about paying for a crime, how you pay in putting your body in a, an incarcerated scenario, right? You're charged like a credit card, and then you pay by putting your physical human body into an incarcerated state and then prisons for profit. It's all prison for profit the moment that they've got you inside the prison, all right. But anyway, she says retribution is the number one reason for incarceration so that a person can pay for their crime. The second reason for incarceration is incapacitation. It is punishment by restricting the freedoms of the person who committed the offense to protect them or protect society from them. So uh, incapacitation, punishment by restricting freedom. The third reason for incarceration is discouraging behavior using fear of the consequences. By incarcerating someone or knowing that that is on the table that they could experience incarceration, you deter them from crime because they're afraid of the consequences. But what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when our little children running around, when they are no longer afraid of incarceration, but they actually wear it as a tattoo? Like, yeah, man, I did five years, you know. I've been in the big house, in the joint. <laughs> what happens when our babies start to grow up and see incarceration as, as, as a badge or a stripe, a tattoo? of some sort of initiation, I went to prison instead of being afraid. So number three won't work. And number three was deterrence. Deterrence by discouraging behavior using fear of the consequences. And the last purpose for incarceration, according to Judge Regina Chu, is rehabilitation. Rehabilitation is to enhance or restore functional ability for a quality of a person's life. Rehabilitation is to either enhance or restore the functionality, the ability to function so that a person can have a quality of life. And those are the four reasons for incarceration, according to Judge Regina Chu. Ladies and gentlemen, I could go on for another hour just talking about those four uh, purposes uh, of incarceration. I could go for another hour, but my time has come where I must say thank you for tuning in, for being a part of the WHGE 95.3 
family. You are a part of the family. We thank you. You tune in every single day. You're listening to the jazz or you're listening to one of the journalists and what we have to tell you, the information that we'll share with you that might just inspire you. Maybe there's something that someone says here that will inspire you to get up and be the change that you want to see. Just maybe we'll say something that alters your perspective on a scenario. And that's what we're here to do. Educate, inform, and advocate here at WHGE 95.3. We are your radio station for our community. I'm Rochelle Wilson. Make some intelligent noise. You can catch me here every Saturday at one o'clock or a few minutes behind because I'm always uh, saying a few little things with Timeless Thomas, Big Deezy. Uh, and so I'm here really about 1.05 p.m. every Saturday. I'm right here for you. Continue to tune in. Thank you for tuning in. Please share this video uh, from Facebook. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and to my Apple, Spotify, and Anchor podcast. Thank you so much. Until we meet again next week, ladies and gentlemen, be good to yourself. Take care of yourself. Mental health and wellness is important. And as you do that and you begin to live and breathe and feel, then be good to others. It's good karma. It's really good karma. Be good to others. I'm Rochelle Wilson. Thanks again, and I'll see you next weekend. Peace and grace.